This is Stories from Lincoln Public Schools, episode 66 for the week of June 15th, 2020. Hello from Lincoln Public Schools, I'm Brian Fitzgerald. And I'm Jason Keyes. Welcome to Stories from Lincoln Public Schools, our podcast that gives you an inside look at the people, activities, and programs that make LPS the amazing place it is. This week, we'll hear an interview with Oscar Rios Pohe'e, the cultural specialist and coordinator for the Bilingual Liaison Program at LPS. Oscar has a fascinating life story, and he also talks about some of the many challenges faced by so many of our refugee families here in Lincoln, especially over the last few months. First, let's see what's making news on LPS.org. Megan Lytle from Huntington Elementary School has been named the Nebraska School Nurse of the Year. This is the second major state award for an LPS Health Services employee in the past month. Wendy Rao was recently named the Nebraska School Nurse Administrator of the Year. Congratulations, Wendy and Megan. And every year, the Foundation for Lincoln Public Schools honors students and educators from across the district with the Inspire Award. We're featuring four of the winners over the next month. Our second featured winner is Isabella Meza from Mickle Middle School. There's also a new blog entry from Superintendent Steve Joel, who shares thoughts about the district's response to COVID-19 and the recent protests in Lincoln and across the country. Now, let's listen to that interview with Oscar, and make sure you listen all the way to the end. He's got some interesting things to say about what's going on in the country right now. Well, I'm here with Oscar Rios Poitier. Is that right? Is that is that pretty close? That's that You got it. <laughs> you know, you're, you're being generous. <laughs> Um, he is uh, the cultural specialist and coordinator for the bilingual liaison program at Lincoln Public Schools. Uh, Oscar, thanks so much for taking a little bit of uh, your time today to talk to me. The pleasure is mine, Jason. Thank you for yeah. the invitation. So first, I've I've heard you have a pretty interesting uh, life story. Tell me just a little bit about your upbringing and your journey to Lincoln Public Schools and, and how you got here. Um, sure, sure. Jason. I know that, that's kind of a big question, but you know, it's, it is a big question, and <laughs> it, it may take the entire day. <laughs> um, but I'll try to make it as short as I can. Um, you know, I am a third generation Japanese, third generation French, and first generation um, Mexican from a southern tribe, the Zapotec tribe. Uh, my grandmother spoke a Zapotec, which is a dialect, a language in which people from southern Mexico, the regions of Oaxaca, um, communicate with each other. Um, so I do remember then my, my, my mother and my grandmother speaking to each other, you know, in, in, in Zapotec once in a while. But it's a language that I did not pick, and I, I regret that. Uh, but anyway, uh, from from a very early age, um, Jason, I I knew that I was someone a little bit different than everybody else, simply because of my last name. You know, every teacher uh, back in elementary and in, in kindergarten, if I can recall uh, correctly, had a hard time pronouncing <laughs> the Wahie, which is okay. uh, which is which you know which is my great grandfather's uh, last name. He came from East France to work on the railroad tracks for the Mexican government. Then he married, he met a mestizo a lady from uh, from southern Mexico and he married that lady 
and that, that's part of who I am. So from a very early age, I, you know, I wanted to explore the world. I wanted to see different things. I wanted to learn English, as a, as a matter of fact, simply because of the proximity with uh, the United States. So I remember when I was little, I'm, you know, my sister and I would, uh, would, would sit down and turn on the shortwave radio that my mother had um, and then listen to a radio station in Austin, Texas. I do, rem I do remember that city because that's the only thing I was able to understand, Austin, Texas. And, and I, re I remember just making words up, you know, and in, in speaking with my sister in English. And, and my sister would speak to me in English, and, and but we would not we would not be making any sense because it was not English. It was the sound of it that we enjoyed. But anyways, that uh, you know, at age eighteen, um, once I was finished with my well, actually, I was finished with high school, and I had started um, um, a college in in northern Mexico. At that point in time, I said uh, to my parents. Uh, I was I was studying uh, to become a mechanic engineer, um, but there was one particular class, and I was actually flunking those uh, that particular course because one of the textbooks were written in English and they were they had not been translated into Spanish, so uh, it was a part of the course that we had to you know translate it and learn from it and pass that course. That course, better said, uh, which I found to be ridiculous. But um, look, I, I spoke with my parents and said, you know what? I don't think I will ever pass this class unless I learn how to speak English. So for that, I'm going to travel to the United States. Uh, I'm going to learn English and then I will come back and finish my education. Um, so I went to the um American consulate in uh, in Monterrey, Mexico, and uh, I was able to get a visa to come to the United States. And um, at that point in time, I didn't I did not know anybody in the United States. I didn't have any friends. I only but let let me take that back. Uh, so there was a group of uh, um, a group of students from College View Academy. Here in Lincoln, it, it all happened that during that time they were visiting my hometown, my that's you know that small city in which I live, um, and they were there to build a church. Um, during that time, you know, I decided to you know help them. They 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 were building that church right a couple of blocks from my home. So every day after school, I would just walk by and just watch the, these American, you know, Lincolnites, Lincoln people speaking English, you know, mingling with each other. There, there were about 25 of them, you know, teachers and students, and they were just having fun. And I would little by little stop by and introduce myself and become friends. Well, I uh, for that week uh, and a half that they were building this church, I became friends with them. I helped them uh, build that church. And then during that time, that urge to come to the United States became stronger. Um, I, um, I asked my parents uh, and said, you know what? Do you mind if I talk to this group and see if I can get a ride 
to wherever it is they are going. And, uh, and my parents said, Oscar, it is up to you. You're going to be the one going through that process, not us, but we'll support you on that. And uh, so I remember my parents, my mom, my dad, and I spoke with the head uh, coordinator of that group and uh, through an interpreter that they had. And they, dis- and they said, well, if you have a visa, if you have all your paperwork done uh, to cross the United States, we'll be glad to take you to Lincoln, Nebraska. And um, <laughs> what I did have was a friend in Ohio, Catherine, Ohio. And, um, and I had written in a small note his contact information, phone number, address, and everything. And so my initial intention was to go to Catherine, Ohio, and, and, and visit my friend and, and work for him because he had a job and a house, you know, and a room for me. So I said, all right, well, I'll go to Lincoln, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, where, wherever that is. I don't even know, you know, where that is. But uh, um, so uh, to make the story short, this group from Lincoln brought me to Lincoln. Hmm. And uh, I remember when, March. When would, when would this have been then? Probably? 1991. Okay. All right. 1991. I was 18 years old then. Hmm. Um, and at that point in time, I remember um, it was cold. It was March. Um, it was freezing. And uh, I remember that uh, that moment in time when the, 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 the bus driver who drove us all the way here said, look at me and said, well, Oscar, um, Remember, I did not understand a word of English, so I am only translating feelings more than literally translation. Uh, he perhaps said, "All right, Oscar, you know, I I gotta deliver this, you know, uh, this bus, um, so uh, you gotta get off. You know, I am sorry, uh, but." I have to leave you here. So uh, he asked me where he could take me. So I said, why don't you take me to the to the Greyhound uh, bus station, the old Greyhound bus station on 13th and, no 13th, but 12th and P Street. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, Jason, if you remember yep. that tiny bus station, Greyhound mm-hmm. there. So he dropped me out there. I had a shirt, you know, that my mother had given me with a big heart saying I love my hometown of Veracruz, you know, I love something along those lines. It was a souvenir for me and, um, and then a backpack. So hesitant, I left uh, that, um, I stepped down um, and, um, and then I went into that uh, bus station with $150 in my pocket, Jason. Mm-hmm. And I remember that and I, a stupid uh, and as ridiculous as this may sound, Jason, I went into the counter and I, I put down my $150 and I gave that lady that tiny little uh, scrap piece of paper with a, an address and a name and a phone number. And I said, uh, you know, there. I said, want to go there. Or, you know, I, I do remember that was, I had practiced that a lot and, and that's all I could say. Um, the lady, um, with empathy, you know, uh, looked at me, and I think she said, "You know, I am sorry, but one hundred and fifty dollars will not cut it for you. You're going to need more than that in order to get to this location." Mm. 
um, at that point in time, not understanding, Jace, not understanding a word that she said, but only translating feelings. I grabbed my $150. The interesting part about this piece is that there was a lady, perhaps late 50s, watching the whole thing. I don't know for how long, perhaps since the moment in time when I stepped down the, you know, the, the, the bus, um, all the way until I, I walked uh, to the counter and then I was ready to leave that building and hesitant to leave because I was cold. But I had to make the decision. I could not stay in the bus station all day. So I decided, well, I am going to walk out and I'm going to think about what I'm going to do with my life. 18 years of age. As I was getting ready to step out of the building, Jason, that lady came to me and without saying a word, she took off her big uh, dawn feather coat, big red, big old red, you know, husker mm -hmm. a coat. And, um, and she put that coat on me and, and then with that look, all right, she said to me, Take this with you. You are going to need it more than I do. At that moment in time, Jason, that's when I realized that this is the place where I wanted to be. Oh. That, that, that I was going to be all right because I had found a human person. No matter how different, no matter, uh, you know, about the fact that we did not communicate in, in words but only through feelings. But she was at that moment in time, an angel as I consider her. I don't know who she is, Jason. I don't know her name. I don't know anything about this lady, but as long as I breathe, I will always remember her face in that moment in time that truly changed my life. Um, and of course, the rest is history. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 30 plus years have gone by, and now I am here helping those who need it the most, those newcomers, those immigrant and refugee students and families who have never been here and who are here because, because they have to breathe. Mm -hmm. They have to survive. You know, for people who don't know, tell me about the role of bilingual liaisons. And boy, it sounds like all these little these points you know in time in your life that you described i mean it seems pretty it's pretty it seems like it was fate that you were going to be in this job because of all these different times that you know you could have used someone like you and your bilingual liaisons <laughs> so just tell me a little bit about what is the role then of bilingual liaisons at LPS? Uh, you know um i think in order for me uh in order for me to understand the immigrant experience and in order for me to understand the refugee experience, I must live through it in order for, for me to understand it, uh, Jason. I understand fairly well the immigrant experience. I would be lying to you if I tell you or if I told you, better said, that I understood the refugee experience. I don't. That is a different world altogether. 
Um, but yes, you're right. Uh, being an immigrant myself and having lived through that process myself has equipped equipped me with the sensibility. I, I, I would say with the empathy and understanding of how to how to help others, and perhaps you know I I done this job of a professional helper in the area uh, as a bilingual liaison, better said, for 20 years, Jason. And I am so proud and I'm so thankful for this opportunity. The work of a bilingual liaison is one who helps others, is a cultural broker, the one who makes connections between buildings, between schools, communities, families and vice versa. We bring information from LPS to the homes of newcomers and we bring and then we and then we bring back information from those uh, immigrant and refugee families who need the support, the help, the guidance, a uh, helping hand, a voice that in their native language that will say, look people, together we are going to see through this. We've done it before, you know? It's gonna be all right, just like this, this lady, Jason, did it for me. Just a, just a human voice that says, we are going to be all right, because we are human people. Yes, you know, we are not perfect, but at the end of the day, we will have to all get together and celebrate life, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so in short, uh, the role of the bilingual liaison is it's being that link, uh, being that uh, communication, uh, uh, being that line of communication be between schools and, and in the homes, in the community, uh, in that cultural broker, as I said before. I mean, we work with every single department across the district, you name it. There, there. I don't, I don't, I don't have. I, I cannot think of any department that we do not serve. In uh, more than any other time, Jason, this time around with COVID nineteen. Yeah, I was gonna. I was. That was gonna be my next question, as far as sure, what the sure. last few months have been like. Yes, it's been it's been very difficult, and as I said before, um, you know. Well, communication is not an easy task when working with immigrant and refugee students and families because we have to be intentional. We have to be clear. We have to be uh, empathetic. We have to be patient. We have to give our families their, their space and time in order for them to capture a, their new environment, for, in order for them to capture uh, uh, how to navigate this complex system of LPS and the complex system of their new communities and the complex system of their nation and the complex system of the world, Jason. So we, the liaisons, have to understand that we are going to just uh, uh, be patient in that regard. Um, yeah, so but, yeah, some of the challenges then. Yeah, the challenges. Months. You yeah. know, um, use of technology, Jason. Um, yeah. Yep. That perhaps has been our greatest challenge. We are dealing with families who have uh, fled, you know, war-torn countries. 
families who have led, you know, uh, political turmoil, religious turmoil, uh, families who are fleeing violence, they have not had the chance to understand technology or to even hold a tablet or an iPhone or a computer in their hands because they have never been taught how to use them or even have one, you know, available to them. Internet access, what is that? Zoom, emails, how do we use that? How do we communicate with, you know, with, with teachers who would like to see us, who would like to see our, the, the intimacy of our homes? Should we let them in? Because we don't have very much in our homes and we feel ashamed at times. But because we love our children, we are going to have to do this. But it has not been easy. Up to this point, up to today, Jason, we are still working with bilingual liaisons, computing services, federal programs, in order uh, to provide connectivity uh, um, to the to the students and families with whom we work, so that they can get the instructions that they need, so that they can graduate, so that they can have summer school services for the little ones. Uh, you know, hot spots. Just just going through that process and, and just saying to the families, hang in there. We know that you have never seen anything like this. We know that you have not experienced or or or, or learn how to navigate or learn how to use this technology, but just hang in there. We will see it. We will see that you get all that information. Um, just the lack of understanding as well, Jason, of how to navigate Lincoln Public Schools. Who do we talk to? How do we, how, who do we let, uh, who do we talk to in order to fix our Chromebooks? You know, uh, is that, um, you know, the computing services department? How do we call? Um, uh, how do we, you know, be in touch with the teachers and, you know, my students' teachers? How do we express the fact that we are sick how, where do we go when we are sick? Who can, I mean, there are, there is a list of things that, that many of our families are unable to follow, to follow through uh, with that. And uh, the loss of jobs and, and not being able to make ends meet. Uh, that is stress that goes through that process, uh, Jason. Uh, in, 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 in turn, that uh, anxiety, depression, and in the lack of mental health services for these families that are culturally sensible. And that's, that, that is also a, a big challenge that we have. And on top of that, the political turmoil that exists, the current events that are taking all the way down to the streets. That was actually going to be my final question for you, because I know you're, Mm-hmm. You're uh, you're very thoughtful about these issues, so I wanted to just kind of get your take on you know how do you think we as a country, um, you know, and as a city, and how do we move forward and you know sure. make true change in terms of what we're seeing out there with race relations. Well, uh, Jason, I do not have the answer. Yeah, yeah. If I had the answer, I would become a millionaire. <laughs> and I don't think that is that I don't think I'm allowed to do that what if you, I have the answers. But, what are you hearing from your families as far as this goes? Yes, yeah. Sure. Um, what I can tell you is this. 
We have, we have unrest and we have fear amongst our families. I have families calling me saying, Oscar, I am afraid. We have seen people walking with their guns. We don't know at which point in time they are going to shoot at us. We've seen too many of these already back in our hometowns. Mm. We don't want to see that anymore. And I simply become quiet. I acknowledge their fears. But what we definitely need to do, and something that has become clear with multiple conversations with administrators from Lincoln Public Schools, community leaders, in uh, families, is this, Jason. We must begin to have candor, emotional, and real conversations about race, ethnicity, about inequality, about racism, and call them as they are mm-hmm. and begin the process of healing. Mm-hmm. You know, just not different than what you and I are doing at this point in time. Mm-hmm. You wanting to know and me wanting to share with you what I know. And in the hopes that you will capture some of that and learn from it. Mm-hmm. But, but not until then, are we going to be able to move forward? Not until we cry with each other. Not until we scream if need be. I know. It's not going to be easy at all. And we are not ready. As I was telling an, an educator this morning, I do not think we are ready to engage in those type of conversations. We are going to definitely have to be intentional about learning how to learning how to talk to each other mm-hmm. and learning how learning when to stop and learning how to control ourselves and then come back later on and continue with the conversation if need be but that is perhaps the 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 the, the, the one thing that we are going to have to do uh, sooner than later jason mm-hmm. yep wow well thank you i think we're gonna I think I'm going to end it on that. That was great, Oscar. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. Appreciate what you do. Thank you for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you in person back at the office here sometime. (laughs) Already. Already. You take care. Yep. Uh, Wow. It was great talking with Oscar. And, um, you know, (laughs) he's one of those people that once he starts talking, you just kind of sit back and listen to him talk about anything. You know, the cliche as far as reading from the dictionary, I, I think he would give a great reading of a dictionary that I would listen to for quite a while. He's an extremely interesting person, and thank you for that interview with him, Jason. If there's anything that you've heard today that you'd like to learn more about, there's links to everything on our podcast page at lps.org podcast. And if you want to subscribe and get notified each week when we put up a new episode, you can find us on your favorite podcast service, and links to all of those are also at lps.org podcast. And that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us right here at Stories from Lincoln Public Schools.